Welcome to Code Grey, an episode-by-episode retrospective of the Shonda Rhimes show, Grey's Anatomy. I'm Megan Totsky. And I'm Teresa Rosado. And each week we review an episode's characters, themes, song choices, deaths, and so much more. And we are starting from the very beginning. First time listeners, a note for you. As much as possible for Grey's obsessives such as ourselves, we discuss each episode as it happens without spoiling future events. Uh, So we do contextualize major character arcs at times because we really can't help that. But we will never spoil breakups or character deaths, equally important. Obviously. If you've never seen the show, it's probably best to watch an episode and then listening listen to the corresponding podcast. Uh, but of course, as always, you do you, you guys. <laughs> you do you. <laughs> okay, are you ready? Y- yes. Okay, three, two, one, summarize. Okay, so welcome to Season 1, Episode 4, No Man's Land. Um, This is our uh, first episode where death is sad. We meet a longtime nurse at uh, Seattle Grace, Nurse Fallon, who is dying of pancreatic cancer. And Yang has to deal with her emotional response to that. We're also dealing with sexual harassment by Alex against Izzy when he finds out she's a model. Um, George does some things that I can't remember as usual. And Derek and Mara go on a date. (laughs) That's good. That was good. You talked about several different events. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I forgot George again. (laughs) I just want to be clear that my favorite part, (coughs) excuse me, about our summaries or whatever random fact we choose at the end. <laughs> when we know we're running out of time and it's like... We're like, the date, floppy disk, motorcycle. Um, so so this episode is, it's a good episode, especially coming on the heels of a pretty mediocre episode three. Yeah. No, it is a really... We sold our audience really well. It, we did. Thank you for sitting through episode three, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this episode is really good. I think that there's um, some good character development, and I think that I, I, let's start talking about Nurse Fallon. Let's like I think that she's yes. a great she's a great entry point. So we meet Nurse Liz mm-hmm. Fallon, who was Ellis Gray Meredith's mom. Um, it was her scrub nurse, and she is this like she, she's described um, at several points in this episode as an institution. Um, she's clearly <laughs> like a pretty. I want that someday. Probably at a bar. It's going to be at the giant up the street, to be honest. <laughs> no, that's Teresa. She's an institution here. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> She's like this hardened but loving like woman who's just like completely, everybody just loves her, right? Um, and she worked with Ellis Gray for 20 years. Is that what she said? Is it 30 years? Yeah, something, something crazy Decades. like that. Decades. <laughs> Yeah, and as a side note, played by Anna Maria Horsford. Thank you. So, just yeah, for the record. Yeah, um, and she's great. Um, the she comes in because she she has pancreatic cancer, which is obviously a particularly devastating breed of cancer. Um, and Yang has recognized that has seen her that she's you know seen her on the on the charts that she's coming in, and she's hoping that she's going to need a surgery called a Whipple, which is um, we can talk more about that later. But it's a particularly complex surgery that yang is really excited for so she comes in early she's really jazzed about this woman's like pretty horrifying cancer that she has (laughs) as per usual 
Um, and Burke is the, the doctor on the case. And he's like running her, running Yang into the ground about it, ordering test after test after test. Um, and all the while, <laughs> Nurse Fallon is sort of trying to give Yang this wisdom. She's really like putting her through the ringer. She needs an enema and like teases her about it pretty blatantly. Um, <laughs> and it becomes clear pretty quickly that that she's she's there to die, right? Like she's not she's the Whipple was never going to happen. Um, and and the only one who doesn't know this really is yes, Yang. it's abundantly clear to everybody else. Which is an interesting, I guess, I guess it's, it's interesting and it's not. In some ways it's interesting because she's, she's like so medically intelligent that you think that she would, medically intelligent is a stupid phrase, but like, she's so smart. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> sure. I, you know I get what it I mean, though. Like, I get it. She's so good at We described job. Izzy as medically and emotionally stupid right, last right. time. So now apparently it's an adverb. Uh, <laughs> but she's, you know, you think that she would have seen that that was never going to happen for her, that her cancer was too advanced. Um, but her inability to read a fucking room <laughs> and read her, like her basic human skills are so poor that, that she doesn't get it. You know, she's so set on this one surgery that she just, she just doesn't get it. Um, mm-hmm. But she's this great character. Well, I was just gonna, I was gonna jump in because I think, I think it's really interesting because I agree with you. Like part of the reason that Yang doesn't see it is because she can't read a room. You're absolutely right. right. Like she cannot read human emotional cues very well. But I think by the end of the episode, it's it's almost a denial born of a surprisingly human response to Nurse Fallon. Mm. Like by the last 15 to 20 minutes of the episode, it becomes clear that Yang partly really wants this fucking whipple yeah. <laughs> to happen and partly does not want this woman to die. And she clearly does not have the like emotional communicative skills to get that across to anybody. Yeah. But that's, that's what's happening. Yeah. Her um, capacity and then is that really kind limited. of reaches. Yeah. And, it, and it, then of course that kind of reaches an emotional climax for her. But I think it's interesting that that script flips by the end of the episode, she starts being oblivious to the medical situation of this woman because she's Yang and she's a, doctor robot yeah or robot doctor um but by the end she's she's not totally an izzy but she is channeling that human response in a way we've certainly not seen so far and in, in like a pretty subconscious way you know like mm. she's not mm-hmm. she's not willing to like talk about it or acknowledge it at all you know she has i think that she's maybe she gets teary at the end in that particularly emotional scene with burke um the way that it ends mm. is that she's um, she's in a stairwell with Burke and Burke is like trying to tell her to let it go. And it's this, this frankly quite yeah. intimate moment between the two of them, um, where he's like grabbing her by the shoulders and her eyes are so beautiful and so big. And she's like, <laughs> she, her eyes are just welling. She is the queen of the welling yeah. eyes. Like when, when she God, cries, it's she just is. like, it's, it's heart wrenching on a completely different level. And Burke's grabbing her and he says, let it go, let it go, let it go. Um, Yeah. And it's such a, it, it is frankly like kind of an Izzy moment, right? Of like, you have to let this go. You need to like emotionally let this go. One, two. What the hell are you two doing? We lost Pulse. Let her go. Where's that Abby? Let her go. She's PNR. Let her go down. Four, five. One, two. Do not resuscitate. Oh, right. It is on her chart. Right. Let her go down. Get, let her go get, down. Get, 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 get. I 
do think that it's it is it's like a great it's a great moment for her um and it's it's incredibly and that was something that i know that we both sort of noted when we watched is that that was like a it was like such a loaded moment for burke and yang um yeah and, and like and the, in, in a way that's it's like intimate um and not in a sort of sexualized way yeah. so i feel like when we see meredith and derek in sort of their intimate moments of course there there's always this sexual tension right. overlaying the top of everything right. and i really like the burke uh yang moment because it's it's still kind of inappropriate like it's still too intimate for a boss yeah. and, and his you know intern but um but it's such a compassionate moment for burke and a a really vulnerable moment for yang so we get to see two things two traits of these people that we've certainly not seen burke has not been really anything more than an arrogant asshole with some funny quips yeah. and yang has really not been anything more than like a, a robot doctor who's a good friend right. also right right it's a great <laughs> with moment fabulous hair and a motorcycle oh, yeah her hair is really and it comes about because of the effect this nurse has on the people around her the team um, that's on her case, but also all of the people we see sort of come in to wish Nurse Fallon well. Yeah. Um, she's she's clearly um, a beloved figure for the hospital, which is cool to see and, and also serves as this incredible um, contrast to Meredith's mother, um, Nurse Fallon's immediate boss, mm. right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. No one... Certainly no one is talking about Ellis Gray that way. Yeah. <laughs> For reasons we see in this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible, right? Like Meredith comes in and says to her, you know, my mother sends her best. And Liz immediately knows. You can just almost see that. And it's incredible acting and incredible script writing. But like, you can just see in that moment that Liz is like, Ellis is sick. You know, like yeah. just after she says that one thing. I told my mother about you. She remembers you very well. Of course she would. Ellis Gray never f forgot a thing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not really funny. It's not funny. What's her diagnosis? Alzheimer's. Early onset. And she doesn't want anyone to know. No. Which I think tells the story between the relationship between Ellis and Liz of, of that sort of working relationship of working so closely together for so many years at such an intense job. Um, but you can just see that. And I think that it's, like Meredith is trying so hard to put up such a strong front to everyone. And I think that that's, that's a kind of incredible, right? That she like lies about her mother every single day to all of these people who knew her mother, you know, like she's walking around the place where her mother learned to be a doctor and lying about her all the time. And, and mm. her scrub nurse, Liz immediately knows like something isn't right. Like, you know, the, the I forget the line, but she says like the LSI knew doesn't have best wishes for any, for anyone or something to that effect. <laughs> yeah. 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 And sometimes I feel like watching back this episode, um, which I've seen so many times at this point, mm. 
And sometimes I've felt that it's too on the nose that Nurse Fallon's readings of people are too on the nose. Like, okay, no one is that good. No one is privy to that much information about a person. But it's also, I guess, important to recognize that at this point in the show, they're trying to create this, a very specific mythology around Ellis Gray. And so when I think of Nurse Fallon in that sense, I'm a little bit more sympathetic to, you know, what this actress, uh, Anna Maria Horsford, what she was given as material to work with that, okay, it can be a little bit unbelievable right. that she so seemingly unconsciously knows everything about it. Yeah, anyone. she's a little bit of a but cog. It, she's an important yeah. building step yeah. for who, who Ellis is and therefore who Meredith is now and who she's going to be right. at some point. Right, right, absolutely. And I think that, and that is, it's telling about Ellis and it like... <laughs> I really loved what you'd said about like Ellis Gray has the most selective Alzheimer's in the history of Alzheimer's. Oh my God. How depressing. <laughs> and I guess I don't so know. Like... Yeah. So, so let's, let's just describe what I meant by that for, for a hot second. Please. So Meredith is visiting her mother at, at the home where Ellis is living and she brings, she, she kind of decides to be a little bit emotionally nostalgic for mm-hmm. a change, which is unusual for her. brought on, not probably, but definitely brought on by her experience with Nurse Fallon initially. So she brings, you know, some pictures and says, this is, you know, this is me and you and and this is dad. And and, uh, Ellis looks at the picture and is like, you know, points at Meredith's dad, Thatcher, and says, who is this man? And she's like, well, that's that's Thatcher. That's that's my dad. That's your husband. Um, And Ellis has just as, is not with it that day. You think that she's not with it. Um, it's an off day, mm-hmm. right? Um, that happens. It's sad. Okay. But then Meredith mentions Liz Fallon and says, you know, something about Liz Fallon sending her best um, or being in the hospital or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And Ellis immediately lights up. Like whole immediately body lights up. Immediately lights up. <laughs> Just, yeah. And it's like, ah, Liz. You know, How like she is was she? she was great. She's great. Yeah. yeah. She was the Just best like, scrub nurse I ever had, kind of a thing. And Ellis is def or excuse me, Meredith is definitely standing there like, Are you fucking kidding me, Mom? <laughs> you didn't remember your husband. And it's- Horrible. It's awful. It's like and I I don't truthfully don't know enough about Alzheimer's to know if that's like I think that, you know, that disease knows no, knows no bounds, but like that is Yeah. That is oh, that's horrible. Like that's yeah. Really yeah. really awful. Um Yeah, and I think you you made a good point. I think just we were talking about it and you were like that's a moment <laughs> like yeah. Meredith has to just live forever like she does not have selective alzheimer's so like she gets to just replay that moment for the rest of her life yeah and that's really and then we got we both got really sad about that (laughs) no truly though like that's a thing that you think about when you watch this moment happen this is the like what fourth episode of this fucking show that has (laughs) hundreds of episodes now like she lived for hundreds of episodes after that for years and years and years (laughs) and like a lot of shitty things happen to Meredith, but like, that's, I mean, it's just astounding to me that she can continue on about her life after that experience, you know? Yeah. Yep. But <laughs> we both just kind of sat there like, it was unfathomable, unfathomable to us that Meredith like picks herself up and, and keeps is like, going well, for gotta go. years and years. 
Back to it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awful. It's so, so sad. <laughs> it is, and it really is like the beginnings of the portrait of Meredith being like a completely devastating character. Oh, <laughs> do you know? Totally. Like, it's, it's awful. But I do think there is a scene where Liz and and we can we can move on from Liz in a second, but. There is a scene where Meredith eventually, you know, comes back to Liz and, and does open up that her mother is sick. And um, Liz has this, and, and Liz is like, of course, if I know Ella, she doesn't want anybody to know. And Meredith says, of course, she doesn't want anybody to know. She's in a home. Right, and Liz right. has this great line. And there's like this pause and Meredith's like clearly about to be emotional. And Liz is like feeling, you know, badly for her. And there's this pause. And she goes, what a bitch. <laughs> She doesn't want anyone to know. No. She's in a nursing home. I'm the only person she'll allow to see her. But if I know Ellis Gray, she made the nursing home sign a contract to that effect. You know my mother well. What a bitch. <laughs> And I just love that. Like, I just love it. I think, because I think that, like, Ellis is kind of a bitch. <laughs> she <laughs> you know? is. Like, she's just, she like, a queen bitch, a bitch. You know? Yeah. And and for yeah. wonderful, yeah. for completely legit reasons. But um, yeah. I think that... She and, she and Meredith have a great chemistry. In yeah, they really do. It's awesome. They really do. It's awesome. Um, but I think that, like you said, I think that Liz in that moment is is a little bit too good at reading people. You know, it's not quite believable enough that she would... <laughs> it's clearly scripted. Right. Clearly, clearly <laughs> scripted. But what I do appreciate about this is that she, like, when she does get Meredith to open up about her mom... None of none of Meredith's new friends know about her mom, right? Nobody mm. knows about Meredith's mom. Um, but when she when she says this to Liz and and she starts crying, she gets emotional about it. And I think that what that shows is that like nobody ever asks her about her mom. You know, like the chief doesn't who has who like knew yeah. her mom quite well and none of her friends yeah. do who know her mom is this famous doctor and you know all of these people in her life don't ever ever really ask, you know? And I think yeah. that it shows that She's kind of like, she's an island and all of her friends are islands and like they're very close friends, but like nobody ever thinks they all want to watch her mom's medical tapes, but they don't ever really, the show doesn't really show them asking. And I don't quite know if that's believable either. You know, like if Mm. you knew that your mom was a profession, you know, like a celebrity in your profession that you were just starting out in, you might want to meet your friend's mom or something to that effect, you know? Um, And I think it speaks to like sort of the, the self-centered nature of, of that job or maybe just of these characters. I'm not quite sure. Um, but it shows yeah. that Meredith's skin isn't, I, I think, not quite as thick as, as maybe she would like it to be. But yeah, I think that's I think that's such a good point of of an important point in coming to Meredith's defense. And you say, um, you know, that her her skin isn't so thick. She's just surrounded by people who are who are really similarly wrapped up in themselves. And on the one hand, it's kind of believable. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, they're in their late twenties. They just started this program. Yeah. Like, sure. They, they are thinking of themselves a lot. Uh, but on the other hand, it, it really is. Um, it just lends you much more sympathy for the position Meredith is in that she can kind of seem like an emotional wreck yeah. sometimes in the way she reacts to certain situations and in your right, she doesn't have anyone though. Yeah. 
right? She doesn't she doesn't have anyone to talk to about this stuff. She's walking around, like you said, lying to every single person in her life every day that she goes to work. Right. That's heavy shit. On top of having like a job in which she wakes up at four thirty in the morning and goes to sleep at like <laughs> yeah. who the fuck like four thirty AM the next you know, like who knows? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And wakes up to really annoying roommates. And her still. <laughs> and goes through uh, scenes with her mother before. literally not remembering who she is, you know. I think that that's like a yeah. that's a testament to again how she lives through eleven years of this show. <laughs> is just beyond me like that's maybe the least believable part about this series is that meredith <laughs> put her out of her misery Shonda. To live Jesus. beyond episode four you know like yes. i don't even know i think it tells our audience a lot that like after four episodes of meredith's life megan and i are like let's just throw yeah. in the towel yeah you know if i were her yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know our biographies <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily call us resilient. No. No. It's like my favorite Tegan and Sarah quote. It's, I think it's Sarah Quinn. I love that you have a favorite Tegan and Sarah quote, but go on. Oh, obviously I do. But it's this great scene. I should find it. Um, but she says, some, she's being interviewed and Sarah says, like she's been interviewed about like the zombie apocalypse. Like if there's a zombie apocalypse, yes. it's one of those sort of outrageous interview questions. You know, like where would you be? And Sarah Quinn's like, listen, I'm not a survivor. Like if you're ever wondering to yourself alone in your bunker with your, like, you know, with your family and your canned goods and you're sitting there and you're thinking like, I wonder if Sarah Quinn survived this zombie apocalypse. Like I didn't, I did not survive. Like I was the first one to go, you know, I was out with the first wave. I'm just gone. And I don't think that I've ever more deeply identified with somebody Right. I I think I've I must have at some point told you my horror film theory about myself before, which I I will Mm. very briefly explain. I love horror films. I love them. I watch them every October and every December because I believe they go hand in hand with Christmas. And I just (laughs) I get so much pleasure from watching people fight so hard to stay alive when literal nightmare creatures <laughs> are after them <laughs> and i decided once that it's because it's a response to fear <laughs> that i just truly don't understand like <laughs> if i was ever stuck in the blair witch project or in the world oh of gosh. 28 days later or like a george romero film i would like kill myself so immediately (laughs) like not not even just like passively allow myself to to have my life ended i would be like well i think my time's come so bye (laughs) yeah like (laughs) you know like i just i've told people before like horrified people who are like how could you say that like i don't even need i wouldn't even need like a second report to corroborate the first report of a zombie apocalypse at Mm. the first report i would be Mm. like well i guess i'm gonna buy some booze and some pills and surround myself with photos of my family turn on an episode of (laughs) grays call it an eternal night (laughs) oh god i would be right that's why i love horror films 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good reason. It's actually the opposite. It's for the same reason that I love that I hate <laughs> horror films is because I can't stand that. Like I, I feel like I'm right. missing something. You know, like when I watch that, I feel like, wow, why are you running? Like <laughs> you're not gonna make in, it, man. That guy has a chainsaw. <laughs> just it's like over. Just lean in, yes. you know? Lean yep. into that. Yeah, isn't that what Cheryl Sandberg meant by lean in? Yeah, that's what she meant. <laughs> lean into death. Lean into the chainsaw wielder if you're in Texas and there's a massacre. Just lean into that. I would. <laughs> Just lean in. Anyway, Meredith does not lean in and apparently she's <laughs> fucking resilient. Yeah, was yeah. Born with bravery um, that we were not yeah that's Mind all it is it's just a genetic is a difference. fictional that's character <laughs> so true. at least we have that in our favor that's, that's that's true well i think we've gotta i feel like nurse fallon was was um plot point a but i feel like plot b had to have been izzy and what she goes through this episode um with alex and with her Absolutely. patient um the dick she has as a patient mm. um yeah, it's it's funny because so he's never gonna have an erection again. Um, but <laughs> it's a really horrible episode for Izzy. Coming off of like not a great episode for <laughs> Izzy, she's, <laughs> she's, she's a rough having start. kind of a rough go, um, I would say. Yeah, so I, so I don't know if you wanna if you wanna paint. You get to paint the word picture this time. All right. <clears throat> so Izzy. Um, at the very, very beginning of the episode, we see that she's got a tattoo sort of on her, on her, um, hip bone. And Alex is immediately interested in this tattoo, of course. Um, and, and they've always been calling her doctor model, doctor model, doctor model, because they know that she's done some modeling. Um, and she goes in They're They're sort of learning about how to wake patients up in the morning, um, to do their rounds. And so she goes in after this sort of doctor model thing, um, she goes in to wake up a patient. And he's this guy who's maybe in his late 30s, early 40s. Um, and she turns on the lights. She says, Mr. Humphrey, Mr. Humphrey, wake up. You know, I'm sorry to bother you. And he turns and looks at her. And he looks at her with this, like, completely horror-stricken face. And is like, get out, get out, get out. You're not a doctor. You're not wanted here. Get out, get out. And she's, like, taken aback, of course, and says, like, what do you mean? I'm a doctor. I'm your doctor. Calm down, calm down. And he opens up a magazine that's sitting on his bedside table and flips open to a lingerie ad. And it's... <laughs> wonderfully for a company called Bethany Whisper. <laughs> That's right. Um, very clear ripoff of Victoria's Secret. It's my yeah. online pseudonym. But yeah, also. it's wonderful. Um, and, and he opens it up and she's sort of lying on her side in this, you know, sexy black lingerie. And, uh, and he says, is that you? And she's uh, yeah, clearly yeah. her. <laughs> she does not you know, go and, and he, response. Just not. She, which maybe would have served no. her better. Not, not quick, quick enough. enough. She's medically not that smart. <laughs> as Shocker. <laughs> um, so what it eventually becomes clear and maybe, I don't know what your assumptions of this are, but. Eventually, he's he's got a tumor on his prostate, and uh, and they have to they have to actually remove his prostate later on in the episode. And he won't let Izzy examine him. He won't let Izzy in the operating room. He you know he doesn't want anything to do with her. And she eventually sort of confronts him about it, and he says, you know, I fantasize to you. Um, do you really think that I want the last woman that I fantasize that I'll be able to fantasize to to witness my emasculation? 
So I guess like my read of that is that he jerked it to her. Yeah, right. That was a polite way of saying, <laughs> right. I've masturbated to this photo of you on several Which I'm like, this is an aside and we can cut this if you want. But like, who jerks it to a magazine ad? And like, presumably like a Vogue, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's, it's not is... even like, I mean, it's a sexy picture because she's a really fucking good looking person. Yes. But like, it's still like a magazine ad. Yeah, like I'm not gonna, I, I'm not gonna cut this because I think this is an important conversation, dudes. If you live in this fucking century and you're jerking it to a single image <laughs> in a magazine, I need you to understand that the internet exists. Yeah, <laughs> truly, which means that you're not listening to this podcast because it's found on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> something you're clearly not aware of. So yeah, Mr. Humphrey. I don't know what his deal is, but it's like, it's not even, I mean, okay, the company is called Bethany Whisper. Like, this is probably like Good Housekeeping magazine, okay? Yes. Bethany fucking Whisper. It's not even Victoria's Secret. There's nothing pornographic or inviting about it. It's literally a woman wearing some underwear. That's I think she's maybe even wearing like a t-shirt bra, like like, to be honest. (laughs) There's there's nothing salacious about this image. And like that was his go-to, so much so that he had it in his hospital room. Like you're the weirdo here, Mr. Humphrey. Right. (laughs) No kidding. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Plus, like, do you really not want her there? Like, I just don't really even, like, okay. Yeah, I said in my notes that this storyline is 0% believable, and I stand by that because it's just the most ludicrous bullshit I've yet seen on this show that's going to be full of ludicrous yeah. bullshit. Um, and this was clearly yeah. a story that Shonda wanted to be told, and I don't know that it needed to be told, but, you know, it's it's an important part of Izzy. And it's a good mm-hmm. storyline that it allows for, for good moments with Izzy, but Mr. Humphrey is a dick, and I don't yeah. care about him at all. <laughs> no, and I have, like, very little sympathy yeah. for him. As a character, you know, like, it's just a, it's, he's a tough, yeah. tough sell. So, Alex, of course, has a subscription to Good Housekeeping <laughs> good or whatever the fuck, but, yep. <laughs> yep. but finds this ad, and like the dick that he is goes and makes copies of the ad and the copy machine and makes like, you know, a hundred copies of it and goes into the intern locker room and pastes them everywhere. Um, Also to the outside of the elevator, which is important because everyone uses that exact elevator. That's right. There's one elevator and it goes like (laughs) negative one mile an hour. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's the least efficient hospital elevator ever. Yeah. And um, paste them everywhere So when he knows that Izzy's coming back to the, when her shift is ending or whatever. And so he pastes them everywhere and turns off all the lights and Izzy walks in and George is trying to save her. There's this moment when George is trying to like keep her from going in there after being a complete dick to Izzy the entire episode as well. Yeah, they've been in a fight the whole episode over tampons because yeah. George is a child. But that's and a different conversation. Won't buy her tampons. Anyway, so... He tries to prevent her from going in. She has no patience for him because he's being a tool bag for this entire episode and walks in and Alex is whispering into his pen, you know, like, it's Bethany Whisper. Everybody be quiet. You know, and is completely teasing her. Um, And she has a monologue that will earn her chief resident of the week. Oh, yeah. You want to see it? You really want to see it? Let's look at that tattoo up close and personal, shall we? What are these? Oh my god, breasts! How does anybody practice medicine holding these things around? 
And when we got back here, let's see if I remember my anatomy. Glutes, right? Let's study them. Shall we gather around and check out the booty that put Izzy Stevens through med school? Have you had enough or should I continue? Because I have a few more very interesting tattoos. You want to call me Dr. Model? That's fine. Just remember that while you're sitting on 200 grand of student loans, I'm out of debt. It's amazing. Like, it's just her. It's a great moment for her. It's a great woman moment for women on the show. And just, you know, her, her own ownership over, like, not only her gender and her body and her like personhood, but also for like her socioeconomic status of like yeah. that she, this is the thing that she needed to do and she did what she needed to do for her. Yeah. You know, it's just like a totally great all around wonderful moment. Yeah. In my opinion. And, and it's the second time, the second episode in a row that Alex has gotten dressed the fuck down in the intern yeah. locking room, locker room, which yeah. is, which is pretty exciting by a woman. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's it's a great scene for Izzy. It's a really great scene for Catherine Heigl. Um, oh, Hegel? God, yeah. Heigl? Heigl. 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 Um, she, you know, has kind of just had a concerned face for four episodes <laughs> until this point. Yeah. Um, and she gets she gets to be angry. She gets to be full of sort of this righteous anger. Um and she's unapologetic about it, which is which is refreshing and awesome because she can be a kind of deferential character at times. Sure. And she so isn't in this moment. She's, you know, she's like, fuck you. I'm debt free. So look all right. you want when she yeah. like gets out of her clothes. And I read on, you know, like IMDb or the Grey's Anatomy Wiki or one of those sites that um, right. Catherine Heigl actually was like, if I have to take all my clothes off in this scene, like y'all do too. And so the crew did that scene no apparently, supposedly in their underwear. Um, That's amazing. With Catherine Heigl, which was which was really cool. And and of course she has she has a storied history on the show uh, yeah. which we'll get to at some point but this was a great moment for her and you see why she becomes a fan favorite so quickly I yes. think Megan and I definitely have a a different lens with which we view her because of everything that happens later uh, both on and off the show uh, but in this moment she really cements herself as as a, a breakout performer yeah. on the show for sure and, and like even for those of us who aren't necessarily drinking the izzy stevens kool-aid yeah. like it is an important moment for her character she's had a rough few episodes mm -hmm. and like she gets the shit kicked out of her in this episode you know by this mr humphrey's guy and by alex and by george you know and she's like she kind of needed a win yeah and this isn't like and this is her win right yeah. like it's not a real win but like <laughs> but she like it's a moral needed... victory i think that's what we call yeah. this <laughs> yeah it is and we really like you 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 root for her for sort of the first time in this episode or in this series excuse me yeah so. i think i was i was a little i was kind of wondering your perspective on this i meant to ask you this in my notes but i was a little bit baffled and somewhat disappointed by bailey's response to Mr. Humphrey, um, yeah. in that Bailey is very she's she's really pretty harsh with Izzy. She doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily know the whole story. Um, she does by the end of the episode. She knows what Bethany Whisper is. It's implied that she's seen the photo, but uh, she's she's never terribly sympathetic to Izzy's sort of plight with this 
um, yeah. patient who's being a dick to her for for a reason that's unknown to Bailey at this point. Um, and while Bailey certainly is not a figure of sympathy or coddling, <laughs> she mm-hmm. she is called the Nazi. Um, it's still a little bit frustrating um, as she is, you know, also a woman trying to make it in this male dominated profession that she's not a little yeah. bit more on Izzy's side about this. <laughs> I know. I, I agree. And I remember, you know, when I watched this episode most recently feeling like, oh, <laughs> I'd forgotten, you know, like it did never dawn on me that Bailey wouldn't be on her side. Yeah. You know, and I think that like to me, I guess the way that I justify it is that Bailey has like a universally hardened level of <laughs> no sympathy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you kind of feel like she would say that no matter what the situation were. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I don't know that that's true. And I don't know if that's just me sort of justifying it in my head. Um but I did find myself being surprised by that, being surprised that Bailey wasn't more sympathetic toward toward her cause in this moment. Um, but maybe she's just to the mindset that, like, hey, I worked my ass off and, like, nobody cut me any breaks and, like, sorry that this is happening to you, but, like, yeah, keep going. Yeah. You know? You'll make it or you right. won't. And I don't care. Right. <laughs> right. And she's definitely not in the interest of doing anybody any favors. And maybe she looks at that as mm. like a favor, which is hard for me. Like that's a hard thing. Yeah. Which is one of the infinite reasons why I would never make it <laughs> through, as previously discussed through basically anything other than what I'm currently doing. Um, <laughs> and even that is sometimes questionable. Yeah. But, you know, like it's it's just a, you know, it's just sort of like her her style in a way that is... You, and and you kind of wonder like will that even be effective on Izzy like maybe not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you it's know, like, it's a it's a weird it's a weird kind of thing and and I think the start of a a difficult relationship between the two of them. Um, mm-hmm. But it was definitely surprising to me watching it back to be like wow Bailey was man she was cold <laughs> yeah I see. she did not have time for that and I don't yeah. know why my expectation is that you know women. Come together to stick together, stick together. Men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess know. that's a pretty that's a pretty privileged, you know, twenty seven year old woman mindset. <laughs> right. Um, right. So yeah, yeah. But it is hard to it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch her supervisor not go to bat for her. Yeah. The whole sequence with with Mr. Humphrey is um, again part of a theme of theme of the episode. So the episode's called No Man's Land. Very mm. you know subtle. Uh, a reference <laughs> to a Billy Joel song, apparently. So uh, yeah, I read that. On ah, the thing. that's too bad. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have to now go download a Billy Joel song. But uh, I, <laughs> it's it's hard because I. I said in my notes that like clearly this episode ha- wants to say some stuff about mm-hmm. the emasculation or castration of of the men in the show. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just care so little about that as as a plot line. Um it, and that really comes I mean it really comes to a head <clears throat> with Mr. Humphrey <laughs> like dick. <laughs> Thanks. By the way. Thanks. That's what she was getting at. You get me. <laughs> Again, hi mom. Um, Jigs have heads. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> so, with Mr. Humphrey, it's pretty clear, but with George, it's also clear. The like 
plot mm-hmm. C, I don't even want to call it a plot because it's so unimportant, but is that George feels like the women in the house that he chose to live in <laughs> don't see him as a man or respect him as a man. And that that's evident in the fact that when he's taking too long in the bathroom, they join him because it's 4.30 in the fucking morning. <laughs> and, and there's they, apparently one bedroom, one bathroom. Yeah, one bedroom house. for like seven, one bathroom for like seven bedrooms. <laughs> and, uh, and they're all going to the same place. So it would make sense that they would all leave together. So they need to be efficient with their time in the bathroom. But George feels that they're invading his space of manhood. Um, furthermore, when he tries to bring this up, Izzy somehow ends up asking for tampons because she and Meredith adorably have synced up. <laughs> Which just the most just realistic part of this happy. episode. It really is. <laughs> and and George refuses. He's like, I'm a man. I don't buy he literally tampons. Says that. Like that's he a says, literal a line. To which Izzy brilliantly responds, We get it. You're a man. <laughs> you add it to your list, please? What? Tampons. It's to the list. It's your turn. I am a man. I don't buy girl products. <laughs> and it's so, it's just so stupid. Like I just and it's it's kind of more frustrating to me because they're doctors. Like, I was trying to communicate in my notes. Like, I don't understand how George can be so embarrassed by the prospect of buying tampons when presumably he's, like, studying women's vaginas. Like, he has to do an OBGYN rotation yep. at some point. Like, he's going to have to get over that at some point. You know? I just don't, like, and uh, the thing that I believe most in that scenario is that uh izzy and meredith's just like complete intolerance for that dialogue and and they're like blatant teasing of him in public spaces yes yes of just like you are a like you are so stupid and worthless and the way that it's just it's awesome i love like i i do really love that and i think that like i agree that like it's not really a plot line but um i really appreciate how how they like kind of bind together over that and how they're just like Fuck you. Like, yeah, no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's great. Oh, my God. It's, it's great. Oh, it's so frustrating. We'll get into George a little bit later in the episode. I yeah. have a feeling. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a weird thing that there are these doctors who are so obsessed with um, in sort of uh, contrasting ways with like the female body. So you have George and his insecurity around the female body. And then you have... Mm-hmm. Alex being so obsessed with Izzy's, you know, of course, female body. And it's like, you're again, like you're, you're fucking doctors. Like, like, have you not seen breasts right. before? Like, this is a new thing to you. Like, I don't. Right. It's, um, it's really frustrating, but also again, like the most believable part of this episode that this sort of shit, yeah. not to the scale but this sort of shit happens in medical residencies across the country. I've no doubt. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it's complete schoolyard shit. Yes. Right? Like, it's just complete. I, there's a line later in a later episode by a different character who says, like, 
we're all just students. Like we're all we've we're all just children because we've been students for so long and we've only ever been students and we're students for our whole lives. So we never got the chance to be adults and like learn how to work this shit out. Um, and that's how this episode feels is like all this completely juvenile shit that like, frankly, you learn in college when you're not doing homework or like in your, you know, early mid 20s when you have roommates, you know, it's like when you learn yeah. how to how to sort of be a human being um, and not be petty and awful <laughs> and act like you're 15. And that's exactly what they do. Yeah. Um, which does, I agree. I have no doubt that that happens. Should we get into some, some hot bits? Yeah, let's you do know, it. Not, let's not Izzy's, but. Well, some, those are hot bits. They are though. pretty she hot bits. A fucking babe. She is. She's really very attractive. <laughs> oh, she's so attractive. <laughs> All right. Um, death tally. Should we start there? Yeah, let's start with the death tally. Time of death, 11.43. Start on a high note here. Uh, just one, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, like Liz, Liz Fallon. Yeah, Liz, Liz Fallon is Liz the Fallon. only death. Which I think is, this is, to me, this was an important episode because it's the first of Gray's really sad deaths. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we feel I, I care a death that you're so like, much until now. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, this episode does a really nice job of like not really tying bows, right? Mm-hmm. Like lefting, leaving, lefting, leaving things like truly sort of unfinished, you know, like the, the there's no resolution between Izzy and George and the tampon thing. And there's no real resolution between Izzy and Alex. You know, they don't kiss and make up after that. There's no resolution, you know, Liz Fallon dies and Christina like doesn't really deal with it. She's trying, but she doesn't. And then there's some other characters that go through that like are deeply upset with, with Meredith and there's no bow tied there. Um, And I think that that's, and that ties into what you were just saying, right? Is that like, this is an episode that's like truly sad. Like Liz's death is quite sad. Um, And there's no, at the end, like, Oh, like, let me pick you up from that. You know, there's no resolution. Right. Um, Which I think is, is, Frankly, one of the reasons that I really like this show is that it's so messy. Yeah. Um, and there's very rarely is there a happy ending here um, on an episode to episode basis. So I agree. It's the saddest death. Um, she's she's a great character. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, and I think uh, kind of tied into that, our our chief resident award. I mm. I don't know what your thoughts are. I thought in memoriam, it should maybe go to Liz Fallon for working mm. <laughs> with Ellis Gray for 20 queen bitch. years. Yeah, queen, queen, bitch. Wow, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and never killing her, you know, never slipping yeah. her a scalpel <laughs> after a late night Seriously. of surgery. Uh, I, I don't know. No, I, I think agree. It's gonna go to her. I agree. I think that both, I think that my, my fa- I, I completely agree. I think that ultimately it goes to Liz. I think that my fallback is Izzy just for that awesome monologue. Yeah, yeah. And that, and, yeah, that's how I felt too. Like if it's, if we have to give um, chief resident to an actual resident or I guess intern, then I guess we would go to Izzy. Um, she, I said in my notes, she's like not necessarily a good doctor, but she's not the worst no. doctor um, of this episode. Right. Uh, but she fights the good fight. So so she's also yeah, in the running for chief president. And she stands up to a lot of different, yeah, yeah. you know, sort of uh, abuse. Yeah, yeah. She, <laughs> for lack of a better She word. comes yeah. into her own. She's not just yeah. um, mopey, sentimental Izzy Stevens. And it's right. so refreshing right. and welcome. It is. Yeah. It is. 
Um, what about um, music? What do we hear? Uh, we yeah, this is the this them. is the episode that has the Sia song. You said last episode you were like, I think there was. Oh, a Sia is song that this song? That's or is this that one. A, I mean, this yeah, episode. It's this episode. Okay. Um, I knew that I watched them back to back. Yeah. And so sometimes the lines get blurred. Yeah, I understand. Uh, especially because Shonda that, has like, a pretty. It's typical... weird that I would watch just two back to back and <laughs> yeah. not, you know, eight or nine. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> you watch these episodes back to back, and then the just rest the two, of season one, which is rare and never happens, <laughs> and it's not like entire seasons blur together for me in my brain space. Anyway, so Sia's is great. Sia. but I've got to go with. Tegan and Sarah, where does the good go? Which is one of my, oh. fa- it's not just, uh, it's not just because I'm gay. It's not just because it's Tegan no. and Sarah. It's legitimately one of my favorite Tegan and Sarah songs. It's so good. It's, a tr- oh God, what if it's we got such Tegan an and Sarah song. on this show at some point? I would shit my pants, <laughs> to be honest. Well, let's not tell them that ahead of maybe okay, trying. I, okay. Uh, yeah, but where does the good okay, go? But where does the good go is... Is such an excellent song. It's so good. It is so deeply intimate. And this episode, like, really is pushing hard for intimacy. Oh my god, yeah, it wants it. It's, it's like, like really forcing it. it down your throat. Yeah. Um, but I do just this this song comes up several times over the tenure of Grey's Anatomy. Um, and I think that it's it's just great. I and I know that like we love it because we love Tegan and Sarah, but like also I just think it's a great song and I think that it fits it's it's a wonderfully placed song. Yeah. Um, thematically it really fits. Like there yes. I mean there are a lot of like you said because this episode doesn't r- neatly wrap things up. Yes. There are a lot of loose ends where you're like Yeah. what you know what happened to this time? And I think it's um you know especially when you're looking at uh, Meredith and her relationship with her mother um, yeah. I think it's particularly um, an astute selection, but also, of course, with Nurse Fallon's death um, yep. after so many years at this hospital. I mean, it's it's a it's an emotionally super relevant choice for I think the final montage of the episode, yes. and we do get a little bit of light because I think one our one of our final scenes is Meredith meeting Derek for breakfast. Yeah, and, and this song is playing. Yeah. And this song yes. is playing, and that is kind of our end note of like all this shit happened, and maybe maybe some good went here, and then right you when know, you see like you see these where do the good go? people? Yeah. Um. So yeah. so it is a moment of levity in an otherwise kind of down episode. Um. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. And Tegan and Sarah has a wonderful habit of like, um, of sort of. Um, like having an upbeat song tell such a sad yeah. story. Yeah, you know oh, they're like, masterly at like yeah, and they do that so well in this song. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Which I know you and I are both huge yeah. fans of. 007. 007, yep. 007 for the week. I don't know. I know that you you really were pushing that George is the 007 for this week, which for the tampon shit, which I no, I can get on board with. It's not just but... the tampon shit. Can I go through my list? Can I just okay. go verbatim through Please. it? Will you let me Please. have this moment? I will, I will let you have this moment. Okay. 007 for George, and here are the reasons. Number one, medically, he's the 007, because he suggests an MRI for a gentleman who has nails in his head because he fell down some stairs while he was holding a nail gun, and he shot himself in the head eight times with nails. <laughs> MRIs are like magnetic resonance imaging or something i think that's what mri stands for they're a giant fucking magnet. but it's a giant goddamn magnet exactly and george's like no i think we should give him an mri fuck you george how are you 
in this program again. Okay, so medically, 007. Um, at one point, this is really important to me. At one point, he hides. He's in the bathroom. He's in the shower. And he literally <laughs> hides his dick from Izzy and Meredith by diving to the floor of the bathtub while he's in the shower instead of just closing the goddamn shower door. He, like, literally, <laughs> like, puts his hands over his junk and, like, falls to his knees in the tub. And I'm like, have you no pride, sir? In a great moment of unintentional <laughs> physical comedy, I will say. Sure, sure. But, like, really? Re I, re really? No mm -hmm. one mm -hmm. wants to see your junk that badly. George, zero people <laughs> except for that gay man in the last episode. Thirdly, he says, you. I'm a man. I'm pretty sure those are his only lines this whole episode. I am a man. Someone's like, man. someone's like, oh, did you did you get the labs for Jorge Cruz? And and he's, I'm a man. That's it. <laughs> did you pick true. up those tampons? I am a man. That's a real situation. He really did answer that with that. And then finally, fourthly, finally, why George is a 007. It's because he, mm -hmm. he doesn't pick up the tampons he from Meredith and Izzy. True. Which, like, George, what the fuck are they supposed to do without tampons? Leading me to say to you, and I mean this from the <laughs> bottom of my heart, listeners, I hope they bled on everything he owns. So state your case. Who's the doublest? <laughs> I was just going to make a basic, you know, just sort of baseline misogynistic case for Alex Karev, who's literally has zero redeeming qualities so far in the series. <laughs> but I see your George O'Malley <laughs> and I will concede. <laughs> You're not going to raise me one Alex Karev? <laughs> my biggest... <laughs> I just want to make it known that I think that Alex Krebs is a huge fucking dick in this episode. <laughs> he doesn't have to get the 007 because that means that he wins some sort of award. Sure. <laughs> but I just want everybody to know that, like, I think that he's the smarmiest piece of shit. George is an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what 007 ultimately is, which I respect. The 007 yeah. is ultimately, like, somebody who's medically stupid. <laughs> which is a thing that we've yep, decided. Yeah, it's a thing that a we're thing. using now. Um, it's a thing. Um... <laughs> But Alex, if there were a word for biggest asshole, we could start. The episode. There are no, we make the rules, dude. That could be a new just, rule. He's just, it could be. We could be Alex the Karev each a, week. Who wins the Karev? That's true. That might be relevant. Okay. You know, for like, who's the biggest dick this outside week, Karev of the Karev wins the Karev. Karev, this inaugural week of the Karev mm -hmm. goes to none other Karev. than Alex Karev. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I will define the Karev Award as who has been the biggest dick this week. And it can be medically or not. Mm -hmm. I think the 007 is somebody who is like really fucked up medically. <laughs> but the Karev is going to go to somebody who has just been a dick in the episode. Yeah. I think that's great. Right? I love it. I love, I love that. It. That's going to be All really right. helpful We're adding for us, a bit. I think. We're adding a bit. I think so, Because too. these episodes are not long enough. <laughs> that's right. God. Okay. What's her diagnosis? All right. Medical fact. Yes. I learned about Whipples. Yeah, you I did. I learned about Whipples. Um, so Liz Fallon has pancreatic cancer. Um, if you have pancreatic cancer, um, you live, a, like, prognosis is horrible. You usually live less than a year, um, oftentimes much less than that. Um, unless it's caught early, which the only cases when it's ever caught early is basically exclusively on accident. 
Um, if you're having your gallbladder removed and they see something on your pancreas, that sort of thing. Um, so the Whipple surgery is, is named after the guy whose last name is Whipple. I forget his first name. It's like Mason Whipple or something to that effect. Um, but Whipple is a great last name. So and it's good. a great name for a surgery. Um, but it's one of the only surgeries for pancreatic can- cancer, um, that it has even a, you know, a shot in hell at treating it. And even then it's not always successful. It's very risky. It's a very long surgery and very, very few patients are actually candidates for it. Mm. So the surgery is totally nuts. Essentially, they slice off the top of the pancreas. They slice off the duodenum, which is the very first part of the small intestine. So it's like your pancreas, and then it goes into your small intestine. Um, They take out part of your common bile duct. They take out your gallbladder. And oftentimes, they also take out part of your stomach. So they've taken out all of these pieces of your guts. And then they connect what's left of either side and connect them to each other. And hope that, like, they have taken out enough around the pancreas to like keep the cancer, this like incredibly invasive cancer from spreading. Um, so it takes forever because it's the removable, the removal of multiple pieces of your organs. Right. And in fact, some organs in their entirety. Um, so the Whipple is super fascinating. What I learned particularly that's like interesting for us who, who like the show, um, is that this is obviously a general surgery case. General surgeons are classified as people who deal with, with sort of your guts, right? Your stomach, your bowels, your colon, et cetera. Um, and Burke, Dr. Burke, is the is clearly the, the doctor on, on Liz Fallon's case who would be performing the Whipple. Even though we know the Whipple's not going to happen, he's the one who's sort of leading the charge for it. Um, and that's interesting because he's a cardiothoracic surgeon, so a heart and lung doctor. Um, but he's on this surgery or on this case that will have a Whipple, which is so clearly a general surgery case. <laughs> um, and And... So I'm like trying to like follow the, the train of thought here, right? Is it the drama? Is it because we're sort of trying to emphasize this relationship between Burke and Yang um, and, and sort of like this him trying to teach her this lesson? Oh, yeah. Um, and I did learn that in order to actually get a cardiothoracic fellowship, you have to be a board certified general surgeon, which I think is sort of interesting. I didn't know that, um, that you had to you had to pursue that before you can pursue a more specialized path. You have to be a certified general surgeon, which I think is interesting. Um, but... <laughs> What we are missing here is that the doctor who has worked beside Liz Fallon for years and years and years is Chief Weber, who's the chief of surgery, a close friend of Liz Fallon's, and is also a renowned general, general surgeon. surgeon. Right. <laughs> and he is somehow mystically <laughs> not on this case to do this incredibly complicated procedure, which we have to believe that he has done more Whipples than anybody else at this hospital. Yeah. And I get right. that the surgery was a ruse and was never going to happen, but like... I just think that that's a clear, a clear directional, like pushing the audience in one direction to, to emphasize, you know, one character or another. Yeah. So. I wonder if Whipples, at this point, James T. Pickens, who plays uh, the chief. Um, I have Bailey, a- Or <laughs> Bailey. <laughs> Weber. <laughs> uh, my hopes and dreams come out. Um, Richard Weber. I wonder if he's not yet a series regular. I have that thought of yeah. like they're they're very clearly not trying trying to not sort of emphasize him. It's clear that Burke is is an emerging character. Yeah, um, it's sort of we have Meredith and then we have Derek and Christina who are sort of next down, and then Izzy and George and Alex, and then Burke is sort of up, kind of being pulled up into that mix. Yeah, and Bailey is and Bailey and the Chief are sort of in there somewhere, but not quite um, being pulled on. And I think that I think that's probably right that they're not even quite sort of true supporting characters yet. Sure. Um, which makes but sense. It's a lot to focus on. My point, time, but still weird from a is medical that medically it doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but Whipples are totally nuts. They essentially like cut out giant pieces of your digestive um, and processing tract and then sew the two ends together. Shit. And like hope. And for even the best. then, it might not be enough, right? Right. And like very few people are even candidates for that because most of the time your pancreas has destroyed those things. Wow. Right. Yeah, so on that, I think that we should maybe, like, not end with the medical facts yeah, from here on Yeah, that's out. a good point. Well, we still have best lines, so we can always end and, with oh, best, best line. line. Um, All right. I will what say that think? I'm I definitely was... going to try and watch a Whipple at some point tonight. To be honest, I if you find a good one, let me know. Oh, I can always rely on you for, for gross internet videos. <laughs> yeah, I'm good at that. <laughs> I wish there was an internship for, like, finding grotesque <laughs> injuries. And forwarding oh, God. them to friends. I would get that Seattle Grace internship <laughs> and not in the way that George did. <laughs> in a legit way. Seriously? Seriously. Okay, best line. What this did you think? So I mean, hard, Megan. <laughs> there were so many good lines this episode. Like, so there many. There really were. I have so many annoying sound bites in this episode. So, um, I think the actual best line, I feel like... I know we're rewarding Izzy a lot, but that monologue is so good. And she has so, so many good. zingers in there. But you're totally right that, like, Nurse Fallon's, what a bitch. <laughs> it's so it. simple. So perfectly timed. It's yeah. awesome. But then also, when what's great about this, when, when Alex just, you know, after Izzy's monologue in the, in the locker room scene, Meredith and Christina are sort of nowhere to be found during this scene. And then... After that, um, Meredith and Yang and Izzy are all sort of sitting around and they're looking at, and, and Yang is like lying on the ground and she's looking around the bench and she's <laughs> looking at the magazine and she opens up the ad and she's got this great line and it's sort of this, this sort of silent camaraderie with Izzy of like, I mean, they're all three of them are beautiful women, yes. you know, like they're all these like really, really sort of beautiful and like even, you know, certain elements of them are very stereotypically beautiful, you know, they're all sure. thin you know, they all have great hair, they all have stunning eyes, things like that. Um, and Yang says something, I don't have the exact quote, but she says like, You are eight feet tall, your boobs are perfect, your hair is down to there. If I were you, I would walk around naked all the time. I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have a job, I wouldn't have skills, I wouldn't even know how to read. I'd just be naked. It's so perfect. It's, so it's said good. without any kind of jealousy. It's said without any yeah. kind of malice. For two of people just who like, don't have a great relationship together, right? No. She's so much just like, own that you are so hot. Like, yeah. lord it over yeah. people. Because I would. Yeah. <laughs> it's Exactly. Great and you know she would. Yeah, yeah. It's just incredible. Like, it's just such a, I love, love. And it's, and it's a great moment of camaraderie, which I'm like, Suck, just sucker for <laughs> yeah, we're really into female camaraderie. Um, so, shocker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. It's re it's really, really awesome. And then you have Meredith, like, laughing genuinely. And, like, yeah, a good, yeah. like, a genuine Ellen Pompeo laugh is, like, it's gold. Oh, it's like a unicorn. It it's is so gold. great. It is. <laughs> I like imagining that the people who work on television shows love each other and, like, hang out and... <laughs> I basically live for that shit, yeah. just by the way, as an aside. All right. all right. Well, I think that's all we have. I think that um, it was it's a good episode. It's episode four. It's No Man's Land. And we'll be back next week with episode five. Good night. Where do you go with your broken heart and soul? What do you do with the leftover you? And how do you know when to let go? 
Where does the good go? Where does the good go?